The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. On that day, as evening drew on, Jesus said to his disciples, let us cross to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took Jesus with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with them. A violent squall came up and waves were breaking over the boat so that it was already filling up. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Quiet, be still. The wind ceased and there was great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? They were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is whom even the wind and sea obey? The Gospel of the Lord. Today's gospel presents us with the powerful and question-provoking and even problematic image of Jesus asleep in the boat during a violent storm. His disciples, on the other hand, were terrified as the waves were crashing over and into the boat. Since they were experienced fishermen who would have been out on the sea many times, this must have been quite a frightening storm for them to be this affected by it. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? This is a question that likely resonates with most of us, if not all of us. Uh, in the storms of our own life, we probably at least had that question flash through our mind, if not really stick in our mind. Why isn't God helping me? Why isn't God helping my loved one? Why isn't God caring? Why doesn't he care about the situation? Why doesn't he fix it? We'll come back to that image and those questions, but first let's focus on the second reading from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. St. Paul wrote this, Christ indeed died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When you hear those words, what do they mean for you? What does it, what would it, what could it look like for you to no longer live for yourself? What does it, what would it, what could it look like for you to live completely for Christ? And one of the ways we learn what it looks like to live for Christ is by well, looking at the lives of other disciples. Sacred scriptures teach us a lot about those first disciples and how they learned to live for Christ. And then we have 2,000 years of other disciples to learn from, right? Many of them we know about because we venerate them as saints. 
And the benefits of learning about the lives of saints are twofold. One, they give us many, many different examples, many different examples of what it can look like to live for Christ. Their stories inspire us, but secondly, these saints also intercede for us. They are in the presence of God, always praying for us, praying for us that we will more and more live for Christ in the particular way that Christ is calling each one of us. There's an old hymn inspired by the lives of the saints, which is often sung on various saints' feast days. It's called, By All Your Saints Still Striving. That's the first line. And it's based on the lyrics written by Horatio Nelson in 1864. And the first stanza goes like this. By all your saints still striving, for all your saints at rest, your holy name, O Jesus, forevermore be blessed. For those passed on before us, we sing our praise anew, and walking in their footsteps, would live our lives for you. Sometimes we sing hymns like these, and the tunes are really uplifting and familiar, and we might not really pay close attention to what the lyrics are saying. Yet these hymns, they're more, they're much more than an uplifting tomb. They're so rich with meaning, inspiration, and understanding of holiness. They themselves are a prayer. So let's take another look at the text of this particular hymn. The first line refers to all your saints still striving. What does that mean? Who are all the saints still striving? Well, let me ask in a different way. Who here wants to go to heaven? Almost everybody. <laughs> Not as many as last night, but almost everybody. Well, what do we call people who are in heaven? Saints, right. So the second line of this hymn calls them the saints at rest. They've completed their work here on earth. But for those of us still alive, well, we've got some work to do, right? If we want to get to heaven, then we are future saints. We're not the saints at rest. We're saints with work to do. We're saints still striving. We are saints still striving. We are God's saints still striving for heaven. But what are we striving to do? Well, the remainder of the stanza tells us. We are striving to make Jesus' holy name be blessed by our witness to the world. We are striving to walk in the footsteps of the saints who've gone before us, following them on the way to heaven. We are striving to live our lives, not for ourselves, but for Christ. Striving, as I preached about last Sunday, that our thoughts, words, actions, and prayers will more and more help build and grow the kingdom of heaven in our hearts and in our world. I want to share a recent example of what that striving looked like in one person's life. You might have heard about her in the news in the past couple weeks. Her name is Sister Mary Joseph of the Trinity, a cloistered Carmelite nun at the convent in De Plains, Illinois. And she died two weeks ago at the age of 92. What has made her life intriguing to the news media is that before she was a nun, she was a wealthy socialite from San Francisco named Ann Russell Miller. 
Along with her husband, Richard, they raised 10 children while she was balancing, well, both of them were balancing an active life of business, family, travel, and social engagements. Richard died in 1984, and in 1989, at the age of 61, with all of her children grown, Anne made the surprising, maybe shocking, decision to give away all her wealth and to enter the convent. On her last night in San Francisco, she threw a, a huge party for 800 of her closest friends uh, at a ballroom at a hotel. And at the party, she told her friends, the first two-thirds of my life were devoted to the world. The last third of my life will be devoted to my soul. The next day, she got on a plane for Chicago, knocked on the door of the convent, got off the plane. I'm sorry, got on the plane to Chicago, got off the plane, knocked on the door at the convent. When the door opened, she said, here I am, trick or treat. Probably not often that that gets the postulant uses those words when she enters her new community. At that time and in the years since, neither she nor her community would give any interviews to the curious press. However, the mother superior did give one brief response to the inquiries. She said, there's no story in someone entering a convent. The story is in someone staying in the convent. And to the surprise of many, she did stay, and she was right. It was the last third of her life, as she lived 30 more years, a cloistered life, a hidden cloistered life there in that convent. Some of her children and friends understood her decision. Many of them did not. And those of us who just hear about it through the news might have our own confused feelings and questions about her decision. Why give up being with your children and your grandchildren and friends? Why give up all that wealth? Why give up the opportunities to travel the world? Why give up that good food and wine? Why not stay out in the world and do good with all the resources you have? Those are all good questions. But I don't think any of us on the outside of Sister Mary Joseph's discernment, on the outside of her close circle of spiritual directors and friends and family, none of us can really speculate on her decision too much, on whether it was right or wrong. The point, I think, for us is to perhaps contemplate what Anne said to her friends at her goodbye party. The last third of my life will be dedicated to my soul. In other words, if I may apply St. Paul's message to us today, the last third of her life was dedicated to living no longer for herself, but for Christ. Living for Christ who died for her, for all of our sake, and was raised. And she knew full well that because of her baptism, she was united to Christ's resurrection and the newness of life that only he can give us. How does this apply to us? Are we being called to give away everything and enter the monastery? Some of us probably are. Some of us listening probably are. But most of us are not. And to borrow from this Mother Superior's comment 30 years ago, I'd say, 
The story isn't someone entering a convent, and the story isn't even someone staying in the convent. The story for us is someone no longer living for themselves, but for Jesus Christ in whatever way Jesus calls them to do it. Yes, that can and does happen in a convent. But yes, it can and does, and probably more often even happens anywhere in the world. Even in the homes, neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces here in Sammamish. Does that surprise you? How is Jesus Christ calling you to live for him? Have you asked him that question lately? Returning now to the problematic image of the sleeping Jesus and the questions it evokes in our minds and hearts, why does God seem to be sleeping sometimes when we have such a stormy world? Jesus' response to the disciples is the same one he offers to us today even if it might seem a bit harsh. Why are you terrified? Why are you questioning me? Do you not yet have faith? In his response, Jesus tells us that the problem really isn't the storms that will come, the storms that we all go through in life. The problem is we're looking in the wrong place. The problem is that we spend a lot of time looking at the storms, looking out at the sea of the world, right? Not enough time looking at Christ. The problem is that we need more faith, and all of us always need more faith. We can never take faith for granted. We need more faith that Jesus is always working to save us. Even if our senses don't recognize it, even if the storms of the world want us to think differently, even if from our limited perspective we can't see it. When we live for ourselves, when we pay too much attention to the world, when our lives are devoted to the world, then that's where our focus is. And then our souls get to know the world too much. Our souls get to know the storms too much. On the other hand, when we live our lives for Christ, then we get to know Christ better. Then our focus becomes more and more on him and on the peace that only he can bring. Then we can look at the peaceful Christ in the midst of the storms and instead of questioning God, we can realize that's where I want to be. Not out there in the stormy sea. I want to be on that cushion next to the peaceful Christ. When we live for Christ, then our souls get to know him better. Then we don't need to be terrified, but can have faith that Christ has conquered the world and its storms, and only he can give us peace.